jacket. It could not harm me. And I never so much as glanced over my shoulder a second time, but turned my eyes to what lay ahead and about me. I had no sensation of speed, though objects sped by me, less swiftly upon my right hand than upon my left, it is true, but very swiftly indeed for all that, and most speedily of all above my head, where parrots tore past with Bibles in their beaks. One after another they flooded past, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, in that order of rotation, the leaves of Genesis fluttering in the beak of the scarlet bird, Leviticus in the next, and so on to Joshua, after which the wild story of Eden would again rattle its green pages in my ear as it sped by, and I closed my eyes for a few moments while my feet paced on. After a while I was able to open my eyes and take no notice at all of the spectrum birds, save when occasionally all the parrots would open their murderous beaks and cry, Amen! shutting their mouths again with a clang before the Bibles could overbalance and fall fluttering. But even this I grew used to, and I was able to concentrate on what lay further afield. On my right hand, a green ocean, somewhat the colour of an unripe apple, coughed and sneezed. The sands along its margin were covered with innumerable deck chairs, the canvas of each dyed in uniform stripes of red and white. Very neat they were, very clean, in groups or aloof as they favoured. But no one sat in them, nor was anyone to be seen on that wide, clear strand. As far as I could see, little circles of foam slid about the feet of the most seaward chairs. On my left, a grey mountain range was dotted with prawn-coloured villas, each one a replica of its neighbour. In the garden of every villa sat something that was smoking a pipe. I turned my head away quickly. Ahead of me was the road that I travelled. It was cold and deathly white with artificial snow and it was then that I noticed a most peculiar thing. Observing that in the distance the white road was speckled down its centre, I dropped my eyes gradually until, as my vision approached my own feet, I realised that I was looking at footprints. They rushed to meet me, or so it seemed, down the long strip of artificial snow, and as I was propelled forward and over them, I found that my feet fell unerringly into their shallow, fish-shaped basins. Try as I would, I could not evade them. Footstep after footstep fell as though preordained into its place. I tried to leap sideways, but a kind of magnetism drew the swift soles of my snakeskin boots into the flying footprints. But this was not all. Peering at each in turn, immediately before the descent of either foot into its basin, I could see that the footprints were mine, 
the little snakeskin scales showing their imprints in the pressed snow. There was no doubt of it, let alone the simpler proof that my feet, long, slender and pigeon-toed, had no duplicates, nor indeed any rivals among the feet of the world. I could not escape the answer. I trod upon myself, upon my past, my early days, upon my childhood, when I journeyed down white roads of wonder and innocence that were like the echoes of things long known and temporarily forgotten. But that was all very well. My childhood had not been like that. It had been surrounded by high, grey acres of wallpaper and photographs gone yellow of marriage groups and dogs' heads and faded cricket teams.